Hey guys, welcome to another bonus pod of the ESPN Footy Podcast. Uh, my name is Matt Walsh. I'm joined, as always, by Jake Michaels. Jake, uh, another strange circumstance we find ourselves in discussing another coach sacking. Yes, it feels like yesterday we were talking about Nathan Buckley, um, but we've got another one today. So it's all happening in the in the footy world at the moment. And because we lost that bye week, which I'm going to keep going on about, <laughs> um, we don't have much time to react to it. No, it's been a pretty chock-a-block week, and we thank Rowan Connolly for joining us on this podcast. He also joined us on that Nathan Buckley one. Rowan, uh, David Teague, he's been moved on, uh, probably the worst-kept secret and in, in footy, and whether you agree or you disagree, uh, you could probably see it coming. Was it the right call? Oh, look, I, I don't think it was. Uh, I, you know, I, I accept there are valid arguments about their, their frailties defensively and, and whatever, but I can't get past the fact that you know, he's coached 50 games. It's basically uh, a period of time spanning half a season, one compromise season. So that's brought its own complications for him as coach and bedding down his systems and mythology, um, mm. no, methodology. I shouldn't have tried that word. Um, <laughs> and I think he's made them a significantly uh, more positive team. Um, you know, they can kick scores now, which they were chronically unable to do. Now, notwithstanding the weaknesses, I, and I think we well, can't get past this. I think there's been so many impositions on him. He hasn't been given a particularly experienced support crew. He's been ritually shown little support from the administration or from those notorious sort of power brokers outside the club. You know, he's had all these obstacles. And to be honest, and I know Jake's on the same page with me as this one, I think that they're about where they should be. I don't think they are a drastically underperformed list who have been undercoached. Uh, you know, I think they're about where they should be. I think there are holes in that list that need to be rectified. And I think, I feel like he'd done enough under all those circumstances to warrant at least one more season and see out the contract they rewarded him with. The last point I'd make on this one is I thought he was good enough to go from interim coach to permanent coach a little over two years ago. So mm. if the same people now think he's not, you know, how much confidence can you have in them to have made the right decision this time? Yeah. Uh, you did write about this on ESPN.com.au forward slash AFL earlier in the season about how the, the expectation around Carlton probably wasn't to be finals this year. Uh, there was yeah. probably a little bit of expectation from fans. Um, but when you sort of take a step back and look at the club as a whole, it, it probably wasn't the year for that. Having said that, they've gone backwards this year. So it was a, a, a seven-win season last season in a, um, you know, as you say, a shortened season and with shortened quarters, an eight-win season this year. Um, but crucially, they've dropped from 11th to 13th, Jake. And uh, look, it doesn't take a lot for, for clubs to part ways with their coach these days, especially if you can't. Yeah, it's another another change. I, I, I think, what is it now? It's about eight, eight different coaches since in the last two decades. So it's quite, and, and maybe five in the last nine years or something More like coaches that. than Australia's had prime ministers, I think, which is a <laughs> yeah. tough thing to do. That's but yeah, look, I, I, look, I've been big on this. Carlton is, is, was never, ever, ever, ever in contention to play finals this year. I was stunned. One of our colleagues, he's, he, he said to me, the blues will finish top four this year. And he fell off my chair. The talent is just not there. And the thing is you can blame David Teague all you want. And, and Rowan makes a good point. Like, the majority of his tenure as head coach of Carlton has been significantly compromised. We can talk about last year, but let's be honest, this year as well. So 
for him to only really have two full seasons in charge, yeah, it might be a little bit, little bit harsh. I think the thing that I found strange was the timing of it, given the given the news of yesterday, um, Wednesday, that Alistair Clarkson is not going to coach next year, or at least the, that's what the report is. Alistair Clarkson won't be coaching next year. So the fact that we've, they've Carlton's moved on from David T suggests or tells me that Carlton that Clarko won't coach the Blues in the in the next three to five years because. Who's going to then come in to coach one year for Clarko to come in the year after? Well, um, we speculated about this on uh, Tuesday's podcast, saying that the winds almost had changed a little bit, the way the narrative had shifted around Teague mm-hmm. to, well, he's a dead man walking too. Well, jeezy has been treated really unfairly by uh, Carlton's power brokers, as you say, Rowan and the board. And, and there's a new incoming president who, who might want to save face and say, all right, we'll give him another season just to see where he's at and, and see out that deal. But um, it, obviously that hasn't transpired that way. The, internal sorry the external review into the club and, and the football department has has obviously recommended um that t be moved on and i know that you guys are both on on the same page in that he probably shouldn't have or, or you know should have been afforded another season but there's some pretty damning things this year and yeah the issues that that carlton had this year are the same issues that they had last year and it's the same issues that they had when he first took over as an interim coach and it's just being exposed defensively, being exposed on transition, and just not being able to stop runs of play and runs of goals. They this gave isn't, up. This they, isn't just this isn't just the last couple of years. Like, and I know. Look, our, our listeners would know that we're both Carlton supporters, and I, and I say this. I genuinely say this. Carlton, Carlton's been a. a it's not a. It's nothing. Not a light bulb moment. But Carlton's been a shambles for two decades now. It's embarrassing when you look at some of the numbers of the last two decades, but yet the Blues still make out that they're this massive power club that everyone wants to come to. Well, I'm sorry, but but then you're not anymore. And I'm saying this as a Carlton supporter. And, and that, Jake, is the issue for me. And it, it's a much harder one to deal with because a lot of it, you know, it, it can't be nailed down to, to black and white things. It's about a... Uh, a culture and about an atmosphere that pervades the club, but they have found it really hard to throw off the shackles of their historical reputation. And it reflects itself time and time again. And now, you know, you've had a couple of administrations which have tried Mm. very resolutely to affect that cultural change. And they're always in the end trumped by the power and influence of big moneyed and well-known people around that club. And it's a huge issue. It's not only an issue for them, it's an issue for clubs like Essendon and Collingwood as well. Yeah, I understand. And there's, but you you can't sort of, correlation doesn't mean causation all the time. Just because Carlton's had a a recent history of turning over coaches and jumping at shadows and all that doesn't mean that this wasn't a good decision, I think, Uh, because uh, it's the first time that the club's gone through an external review and have brought in, uh, you know, outsiders to look inside and interview people at the club and try and get a grasp of what's going on, which I think was a big thing for a club as well. Proud's probably not the word, but as steadfast as the blues has been, but they gave up a hundred points, nine times this season, three times they gave up 94 or more points. So that's more than half of the games they played this year. They gave up 94 or more points in a year where, you know, we've just discussed this on the, the main podcast with Christian from champion data mm. scorings at all time lows. Um, they gave up 19 straight against Port Adelaide. They've given up five goal swings more than anyone can keep track of, and they haven't been able to stop that in the two okay. and a half years. Can I team. just so present a, a counter to that? Of okay? course. And, and, and that is an absolutely understandable point of view. But I would also argue this, that, um, yeah, of course, you don't not make a decision now because history, because of history. However, 
two obvious cases here, Richmond and Geelong. Geelong mm. at the end of 2006, when they could have moved Bomber Thompson on, but they stuck by him, got the right people in place around him. Look what happened. And Richmond at the end of 2016, when they'd lost, uh, what, three elimination finals. Uh, oh, yeah, three elimination mm. finals in a row. Had a shocker in 2016. They could have sacked Hardwick. Instead, there was a period of reflection. Yep. Got a few people in place, brought in Neil Baum. Look what happened there. Now, I have absolutely no doubt in the world that if both those situations were replicated at Carlton, both those coaches would have been sacked. Yep. So why do we sort of discount the possibility that Teague can be given equal amount of support and those deficiencies remedied rather than shake the whole place up from top to bottom and effectively start yet again. Jake, I'll put this to you then. Um, If an external review comes to a conclusion that he's not the right man for the job and that other people at the club are not the right person for the job, would it be better for Carl to say, actually, don't worry about it. We're going to stick with our guns. Or would it be better for them to embrace that report and say, okay, well, we're going to try and start again. I mean, it's it, well, well, you're mad the, either way, aren't you? Well, if the review comes out and says that David Teague's not the right man for the job, then all of a sudden, that, that okay, that's you can definitely make that case. And I'm and I'm I'm on the fence with this because I can see it both ways that he should be gone and he should stay. But if the review says he should go, he's only been there two years. So what does that say about the people that made the decision in the first place? That's a problem in itself. It's not like he's been there nine years and they had a bit of success and he's fall, he's fallen away. And it's like okay, it's time to get. Time to get some a fresh a fresh face in there. He's been there two seasons. And like surely, if if you can't get that right, the question and, and it's not just one coaching job. We mentioned this at the start of this episode. Like we've had five different coaches in the last nine years. So know what the the people making the decisions are consistently getting it wrong and changes of philosophy, Jake. So they've gone from pagan and authoritarian to Britain, uh, you know, relatively anonymous teaching coach. Then you go to uh, uh, sorry, Ratton. yeah, I did it the wrong way. Yeah, Ratton, <laughs> a favourite son. Mm. And and then you go for an authoritarian Malthouse. Then you go for a teaching coach. And then you've gone effectively with Teague, they've gone with people power because, you know, this guy what wouldn't have been the first choice in the job but did such a good job at it and the changes seem to be so dramatic that how could mm. they not appoint him? And that's always the problem with interim coaches. But that complete knee-jerk change of philosophy now that indicates uh, a group of decision makers that aren't actually convinced themselves in their own direction yeah this that's a really good point and i think given what carlton embarked upon nearly six years ago now where they said they'd strip it right back strip the list back strip everything back it's now been six years of of heartache for fans uh and and the afl community has sort of watched this team just sort of bumble along where it's you know where it's been bottom of the ladder you know up to about 12th or so and it looks like it's not working so you can just sort of see you're right there's this knee-jerk reaction of well something needs to change now because we've done all this hard work of 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 investing in youth like you know jacob weedering who's one of the best defenders in the league you got harry mckay who just won the coleman medal charlie kerno when he's fits one of the most dynamic players you got walsh you got crips you got all these sorts of you've got you've got the pieces there but it's just they just haven't been able to convert it into a solid list and a list that's able to contend if, at the right if, time of the year. If the if the AFL Aussie rules was five aside, Carlton would be just one of the best teams <laughs> in the comp. But the problem is it's not. You need 17 other players. And, and the yeah. thing is, this is the big problem for the Blues. Like you named five 
A-graders. No one would deny that those five players are A-graders. But how many B-graders are on Carlton's list? I can only think of one, and that's Adam Saad, who was a good player at the Bombers. And, and look, it's no disrespect to be a B-grade player. There's a lot of good B-grade players running around. But who, who would who you say is a B-grader elsewhere for context? I, I think the one, the first name that popped into my head um, when we discussed it earlier was Sam Menegola. Good Never player. Heard I've heard consistent. of Sam Menengola. Yes, Menon and Gola. <laughs> but a good, consistent player that you know what, what you're going to get each week. He's not, yeah. he's not a Patrick Dangerfield, but he can win your games. He'll have games that he, that he plays fantastic. He'll, have, he'll pick up his touches. He can, he can do a bit of everything. You know what he can, you're going to get. And that's what Saad is. He, he's a very honest player that you know what you're going to get. The problem with the Blues is you have that top line, four or five A graders. You have no one in that next bracket. And then you look at the list and a, and a word that Rowan uses that I love is plotters. Carlton's got 12 guys that, that run around each week that you think, gee, they're just not that good. And what I always have said about, I, I've never, never been one that's big on coaching. You're only, you, a coach is only as good as the players at their disposal. The biggest issue I've had with Carlton over the last 10 years has been recruitment. We've got six I said with. I shouldn't have said with. <laughs> Carlton has 16 players on its list right now that have played at least one game at another club. So I'll just quickly go through the list. Williams, Kennedy, Fogarty, McGovern, Jones, Doherty, Betts, Plowman, Martin, Marchbank, Newman, Pitnett, Nunes, McDonald, Sard, and Setterfield. Now that's 16 players. I would say only three of those 16 are better at Carlton than they were at their other club. And that's Jones, Doherty, and Setterfield. Now Setterfield only barely played at the Giants. So you can almost say he's never really played anywhere else. Doherty and Jones have both been at Carlton for a long time. And Jones has obviously done a fantastic job of resurrecting his career as a defender. And Doherty was Doherty came to the Blues young and has been a good player, but he looks to, like he's getting towards the end of his now. My problem is with all these other players that are either, the majority of them are, are worse than, when, than what they were at their previous clubs. And, and the hype around players like Jack Martin and Mitch McGovern and Zach Williams, um, as if we were getting in these A-plus graded players. They're just not that good. And Carlton's continue, continue to, to hype them up and pay overs for them. And the recruitment's been poor. I don't think there's a club that you could look at that kind of a list and say the players that they've brought in have consistently been C grade and lower. It's particularly when you're giving up so much for them. I've got to say, the risk of introducing my own club to the conversation, there are so many parallels between Carlton and Essendon. It's not funny, but one I keep thinking of just, this morning is the fact that Carlton brought in Saad and Williams, and I think back to Essendon bringing in Shield and Smith. Yeah, and I think again that that is sort of testimony to Carlton perhaps thinking they were more advanced as a group mm. than they were. And it's interesting what 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 is the um, what is the bottom line of Essendon having turned the situation around? Well. It's they've gone with kids. The, the, the kids have been good. They've added something. And Shield and Smith have really become almost peripheral players in that side. Yeah. And um, the so other thing is they've, they have brought in some top line players in Stringer and Hind. Um, who else have they brought in from other clubs? I mean, there are players there that have come in from other, from other clubs that are in their best sort of 10 players now. Well, I guess I'm, I'm trying to sort of offer a, a ray of hope to you two before you yeah. top yourselves. Oh, there's you know, no hope. <laughs> that, that if they nail the draft, you know, if they go heavily at the draft, nail the draft picks. Mm. But the development is a really good point because I would say Essendon, again, 
until the emergence of Perkins, Jones, Cox, hadn't had mm. a top kid who'd been developed sufficiently for, again, almost two decades. So development is critical. Mm. Yeah, and without you know wanting to trot out the perennial line as well, but the, the kids that Carlton have played... <laughs> Funnily enough, in the last month of the year, where when it was you know everything was all over for for the Blues in terms of playing finals, but we've seen Stocker all year. I think Stocker's got lots to offer. We saw Brody Kemp, who was their first round draft pick from a couple of years back, who missed the first year with an ACL, and he's looked okay. Um, I think Josh, Owies is a good find. Owies is a good find. Josh yeah. Honey's a good find. Yeah, we saw Corey Durden really, really late in the piece, and you know maybe there's something to work with there. Uh, David Cunningham. Uh, a decent role player has been injured with an ACL. Charlie Kerno came back for a couple of games. So there's maybe there is light there as well, but it's, it's all about how these players develop because there's a, as a sort of a lack of these 22 to 24 year olds that are going to help carry this team over the next couple of years. Um, well, I guess we should move on to who the front runner for the job is because it would have to be Ross Lyon, wouldn't it, Jake? Well, yeah, I mean, it's as I said before, it's I found it quite the timing I found quite strange given, uh, as I said, Clarko, Clarko's news. So um, that almost rules him out completely. Um, so it did, it surprised me a bit. When I heard that, I kind of thought, well, it's probably guaranteed Teague another year. Obviously not. So yep. I think, yeah, Ross Lyon probably does loom as, as the, as the favorite in the race. Um, and well, w- I wouldn't be surprised if he got the, got the job because Aside from Malthouse, Carlton hasn't really gone for a senior coach in its last, uh, an experienced coach in its last sort of six or seven. Rowan, one of Carlton's big off-field programs is Carlton Respects, which is a gender equality thing. You're a, a social commentator as well as a football commentator. But given the way that Lyon exited Frio, could this be a little bit controversial if, if they do go down this path? I think it's shaping that way. I mean, I, I'm just going on the reactions I've seen from various Carlton people. And, and there's no doubt the club has invested very he- heavily and sincerely in those mm. aims. And um, there's no doubt I've seen some real strong misgivings from people, not just fans, but people who are aligned with the club. You know, people like, say, Shelley Ware, for example, a good friend of mine, Shelley, and um, you know, wonderful person. And they have genuine concerns about this stuff. And I know the tendency is for a lot of hardcore footy people to go, ah, oh, you know, touchy-feely stuff. We worry too much about that. We've got to get back to the footy. But I don't think one necessarily excludes the other. And I think good modern organisations uh, are able to sort of combine those social justice aims with, with focusing on the football. That said, again, look, I can see arguments both ways here. Even even in purely a football sense. Now, this is a, a side which is chronically weak defensively. Ross Lyon has to be the perfect candidate from that point of view. Alternately, I'm always really troubled by what happened to Fremantle after 2015. Mm-hmm. They finished on top of the ladder. They finished 16th the next year with four wins. We have never, ever seen a, a side slide that dramatically from one season to the next. Uh, it was that refusal to play any youth, right? Yeah, well, see, I was going to bring, I was going to bring that up because when that season became irretrievable, they marched out that we're now rebuilding. Okay, well, that's a fairly quick turnaround from top of the ladder. But then I don't think Ross ever really invested a hundred percent in the rebuild. You know, kids weren't given enough opportunities, so I think that's an issue for Carlton as well. So I can see arguments either way. I think a strong one in his favour, actually. And it's not necessarily a positive either, but 
he has, having spent time at Carlton in an assistance role mm. and having been so experienced in footy, he knows who pulls the strings at that club. He knows what makes it tick. He is equipped to deal with the slings and arrows. So that would arm him appropriately far better than a David Teague or a Brendan Bolton. But does that then again just perpetuate the problem? So if I was making the decision, I'd be looking at all these pros and cons and thinking it is a really difficult decision. But frankly, bottom line, I think they're so messed up at the moment and so fraught, I'd probably be biting the bullet and going for Ross. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, as for Teague in going forward, Jake, I mean, he was Adelaide's forwards coach 2016-17 when they were one of the high scoring sides in the league and comfortably so. Can you see him making a, a splash or landing anywhere else? Yeah, I think he will. Um, maybe not as a not as a head coach in the in the near future, but I think he'll I yep. think he'll get another gig as a as an assistant somewhere. Um, there's only so many coaches going around, and I think he's 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 got an he's still got enough to offer. And as we said, he only he only had the Carlton job for two years, and it was very compromised. So I don't think you can truly mark him down significantly based on what's happened in the last 24 months and yet again i i'll say it a hundred times you're only a coach is only as good as the as the players at at his disposal mm. um and you know you look at carlton's list and the list as rowan said and as i agree the carlton's list is probably the 12th 13th 14th best list right now so anyone that expects carlton to be playing finals or finishing sixth is kidding themselves you're setting yourselves up for disappointment uh, and who would want to go to a club that doesn't have uh, a, a coach right now and, and a real sense of direction at the moment? I mean, trying to attract off-season talent is just made all that harder when you have decisions like these uh, made for you. Yeah, it is. You know, I read just going back to the what I said earlier about Carlton being a, a, a shambles the last 20 years. You're going to go somewhere else with that. Shh. <laughs> um, I, I saw a stat over the weekend and I, I was a little bit surprised by it. And then I kind of thought about it more. I thought, yeah, it's, I guess it's true. Carlton's won the fewest games of any team in, since 2000. It, the only teams be- below are Gold Coast and the Giants, who have played, who've, have played half that time. So, Well, when you think about it, I mean, they've had, yeah. haven't they had, uh, I think, the only three wooden spoons in their history, or is it four? Yeah. I mean, that. They, they hadn't had a wooden spoon until they. Yeah. yeah. yeah so, that, right. so that period counts for a lot. I mean, and. And how ironic that the you know their their most successful period, that little window under Brett Rackham where they played in finals three years yeah. in a row, mm-hmm. and they that to me in the context of the last twenty years, that is the pivotal moment when at the end of two thousand and twelve, after not that bad a year, a year compromised by injuries, yep. didn't miss the finals by much, and they said no, we can do better, mm-hmm. and really look where they were then and look where they are now. Really failed to capitalize. Though? Really failed to capitalize on that string of number one and top draft picks: Murphy, Cruiser, Gibbs, all these guys that came in. How how often yeah. does a club get three consecutive number one picks that are all that are that are all pretty damn good players? Um, there just wasn't enough around them, and this is this has been Carlton's problem for a long time. Is that there's the there's a three or four top liners. And then a massive drop to the next the next line of guys. You know, we haven't really touched on on this, and and we probably don't have time. But like, I do think there is a a, a much bigger issue here, and or we did touch on it. Sorry, but the culture thing. Yeah, I mean, look at the way you the know culture sucks. Well, people, you know, greats of the club like Stephen Silvani, 
Craig Bradley, you know, they, they've had issues with the club. Look at the influence of two families, the Pratts and the Mathesons, whether they've been on the board or, or firing bullets from the shadows, their influence. How does Carlton actually curb that influence, even if it wants to? And even if it does curb the influence, hey, the money comes in very handy and is actually quite necessary for Carlton. They're, mm-hmm. they're not a financial behemoth these days, you know? So that they are massive issues and I don't think they're easily fixed. And I think we've now seen, I have great sympathy for the likes of Kane Little and Mark Lejuda, or less so Mark Lejuda, so but Kane Little, Stephen Tree, people like that. They have genuinely tried to affect cultural change. Mm. But that shooting in the shadows, and it doesn't just come from the big money corporate people, it comes from former Carlton greats, looking at you, Mark McClure, <laughs> you know, they they all destabilise a club. They don't help a club. Mm-hmm. And it just allows the media to perpetuate the same tired old narratives and keep the vicious circle going. Yeah, I was about to say, it's a perpetual cycle. And uh, the shame of it is, and it's probably almost human nature in a way, is that the longer the cycle just keeps on going, the less patient you're going to be, unfortunately. And we, we've seen that Teague has been a victim of this. And, uh, well, rightly or wrongly, I guess we will find out but you need, a, you still need patience. That's the key to it. You can't. Yeah. I understand that because the last twenty years have been horrible. You you want to you're scrambling to find something that works. But you still going back to the Hardwick point, um, the Bomber Thompson point, and and also to a lesser extent Buckley as well. You know, Buck, everyone was calling yeah. for Buckley's head, and he, he came within a sheed kick of a premiership. Yeah. So, you, you yes, I I understand that you 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 want things to work. But you, no, no one's going to come in. Not Ross Lyon, not Alastair Clarkson. No one's going to come in and and take this list to a top four next year. This is every no every coach is going to need time. Yeah. Well, well, this is why I think we discussed it on Tuesday. Is why we thought the the winds had changed and, and potentially there was going to be a bit of a show of faith and patience. But uh, alas, wasn't to be. Gentlemen, any other final thoughts before we wrap things up on this uh, bonus pod? Oh, look, I'd just add to that last point I made that, um, you know, all this stuff is really sort of shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic yeah. and, and unless they attend to the bigger stuff. And um, that takes more than even a review of the football operations. And uh, I don't even know where you start doing that, but um, it's a huge problem for that whole club. Mm, Jake, uh, thanks for joining me and talking, Carlton. Rowan, thanks for listening to us uh, bleed our hearts out a little bit and offering a few points here and there. It's, uh, well, don't, always... you, don't, you, don't you appreciate the fact I didn't fire any barbs in there? I you mean... know what? I actually, I was surprised. I had you as a $1.50 favourite to, to just get a one or two in there, but you didn't. I'm, so a, well I'm a fan of the game, Matt. It's in my interest that all clubs are successful. You are sure it's not just you don't want to jinx your side ahead of this weekend? Oh, possibly. <laughs> uh, gents, thanks for joining us uh, on the bonus pod. Uh, to everyone at home, if you haven't subscribed to the ESPN Footy Pod, please feel free if you liked what you heard today. Uh, we'll speak to you on Tuesday. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.